0: Understanding in the matter. John chapter number 4, we'll begin reading tonight in verse number 19. I want to remind you before we begin reading that two weeks ago when we were last here in John chapter number 4, Jesus has brought this woman face to face with her sin. He has called her out for having five husbands and being with a man that was not her husband at the time, and he just simply brought her face-to-face with that sin. And uh, Jesus uh, seemingly has a way in conversations and in his wording uh, to bring us to a point where we can talk about things that we don't know, that we don't understand. Uh, He'll talk to us about things that we do know so that he can talk to us about things that we don't know. And that is exactly what he's done in this conversation with this Samaritan woman. He began to talk to her about water and wells and all of these different things. And then he began to talk specifically to the woman. In talking to the woman, he brought out her sin, and the woman has answered him, and, and she did not deny the sin. I want you to notice that. She did not deny her sin. She did not try to get out of her sin. She certainly will try to change the subject of the conversation. She certainly will turn it toward religion and different things but she never denies her sin. And uh, that is a place that we preached on Sunday morning that the church and Christian people need to come to again. We need to quit denying our sin and repent of our sin. Now, there are some preachers in our day that seemingly feel like that we are preaching too much of repentance of our sin. If a preacher is preaching too much that we ought to repent of our sin, then it's because there is too little repentance of sin. The Bible teaches us that we must repent of our sins and, and it certainly is uh, it certainly is necessary to change our mind, to change our heart, to change our living in repentance, that we must turn unto God, and turn away from our sin. Look at verse number 19. The woman saith after that these things have taken place and Christ has called out her sin. She's not denied. But she says in verse 19, The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such To worship Him. God is a spirit and they that worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto Him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When He is come, He will tell us all things. Verse number 26. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am He. Father, we once again thank You for the privilege to pray. Thank You for the reading of Your Word. And Lord, we know that You'll bless Your Word. God, as we come to You tonight, we need help, we need strength, we need utterance, we need unction. Father, to be able to properly preach Your precious Word. I pray that You would give us the strength we need. I pray You'd give us a clarity of mind. And I pray You'd give us open hearts and listening ears, Lord, to what is being preached and said this evening. Lord, you know God physically. Uh, we're tired, but we know God that you are uh, fully in control. And we're looking for you, God, tonight to do great things. Help your people. Help us to learn from your word. And Lord, we'll thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. We've already said and really put an emphasis on the fact that this woman has not denied her sin, uh, but what she does after that Christ had uh, called her sin out, she makes a simple observation that will carry us, that will carry us into a conversation about religion. Now, thus far, religion has not been mentioned, nor has worship been mentioned, or church, or uh, any of those things that we would consider a witnessing type tool, nothing has been said to this point uh, that would cause her to think she was in a religious conversation. But Christ has called her sin. He has pointed out who this woman is. And I believe we said last time that uh, that it's untelling everything he told her because when she reports back to those uh, when she goes home, she says, this man has told me all things that I ever did. And what we have recorded is simply that she had five husbands and was living with one now that was not her husband. And, uh, but she said, he's told me all things that I ever did. And it brings her to a simple observation that will turn the conversation towards the religious aspect uh, that Christ intended to get to. She said, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet at this point in the conversation. She understands that she is not just speaking to a Jewish man. She understands that that most men that talk to her are not interested in talking about worship. She understands that most men that would speak to her uh, by the well had wrong intentions uh, uh, but this man is not like any other man that she has ever spoken to and tonight if you would uh, go back to the day that uh, God showed you your sin and showed you who you were uh, you would have to say that uh, that this same man has uh, spoke to you like no one else has ever spoken to you. He spoke with truth. Uh, He spoke with boldness. Uh, But yet he spoke with compassion and he spoke with love. Uh, He did not dilly-dally around uh, who this woman was. He called her out And he pointedly spoke to her about her sin. But he did so that he might bring it to her attention. That he might be able to forgive her of that sin. Friend, this is how Jesus works in salvation. The Holy Spirit of God will draw your attention to who you are. It will point you out very clearly in the midst of sinners and say, you are guilty, but Christ came to save the guilty. It's a simple observation that she makes. He's not like any other man. But even in her observation, she has still missed who it is that she's really speaking to. She perceives that he is a prophet. Her perception Her perception was off. She had at least heard or had some type of spiritual teaching or background. She knew that when a prophet come around, that he would speak different than others, that she ought to respect him, that she ought to listen to what he has to say. So just her observation should tell us a little bit about her. The fact that she moves The conversation in a religious way, by speaking of worship, would also say to us that she had some spiritual teaching or background. She spoke to him with respect. She called him sir. However, she still is very unaware of who it is that she is speaking to. And she's very unaware of what is taking place or is about to take place. Her observation is, I'm speaking to a prophet speaking to a pro- have you ever talked to somebody and they could just tell by your conversation you're a christian and they would say to you you're a christian aren't you you've had folks do that to you It's it's a simple observation. They know I ought to have respect. They know I shouldn't uh, be using curse words around this person. Uh, They know that uh, that you don't want to hear about their uh, weekend shenanigans uh, when you go back to work on Monday. They make simple observations in your life and that is what has taken place with the woman at the well. Okay, this man's different. He is obviously a prophet. He's a man of God. He's someone that I need to uh, be careful what I say. I need to respect him. She calls him sir, which is a lost word in our day and time. Amen. It's almost extinct. Uh, Respect has gone out the window, but here it is displayed in this conversation. Now watch. She is going to turn her observation to a word that I use often when outlining, is she is going to turn to the ought of worship. She moves from the observation that we are dealing with a man of God, and she ch- turns that conversation into the ought of worship. She wants to know what this prophet has to say about where we should worship. This woman is a Samaritan. It dates back to when there was separation with the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the Samaritans worshipped in one place and the Jews worshipped in another place. And as she said, all our lives we've worshipped up here. But the Jews say we ought to worship down here. And she brings the question to Christ, where ought we to worship Now, we may not realize it. We may not understand that it's happening. But the same question is being asked or being thought about every day that we live in America. Where ought we to worship? Should we worship with the Baptist? Or should we worship with the Presbyterian or the Methodist or the Church of God? Where ought we to do it that it's going right? I'm a Baptist because I feel like that it is the closest thing to the Scriptures uh, that we have. Uh, But there are people that are Presbyterian uh, because they think uh, that that's the closest thing uh, to the Scriptures. There are people that are Methodist because they think that's the closest. And the argument uh, would go on forever and forever and forever about the where or the ought of worship. Verse 20. We move to the main thrust. This is what the main thrust of this particular text that I've read to you after this observation. She wants to know where. The whole question here is about the place. She is acknowledging her need to worship, but she wants to know where I ought to worship. Now, listen, we are, we are in a culture and I, I'm just being honest with you, We fight more in Christianity than we ought to fight. We are fighting over things and arguing over things that make absolutely no sense while people are dying and going to hell. There are people just like this Samaritan woman that recognizes that she should be worshiping, but she doesn't know where or how or what to worship. The word worship could be said this way worship worship We worship that that we put a value on that we esteem worth worth worshipping and uh, this woman recognizes the need to worship I believe that she would even acknowledge God the Father I mean Christ said there's coming a time when you'll neither worship the Father here or in Jerusalem he said that time is coming that little phrase would indicate to me that she believes in God the Father but friend the separating the dividing factor in Christianity is what we think of Jesus Jesus Christ. Uh, He's more than a prophet. Uh, He's more than a teacher. Uh, He's more than what the world uh, gives him credit for. Uh, John is producing and presenting to us Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, the Christ child. John has presented deity to you and I. And it ought to be worth our worship. The whole question is about the place. The word ought means it's necessary or it's binding. And uh, this woman, this woman is bound all right. But she's bound to the tradition of how it should be. And now says, tell me how it ought to be. And the question is, where? She's bound to tradition. She's bound to the battling and the arguing and the fighting between the northern and the southern about whether you should worship up here or whether we should worship down there. She's forgotten that worship is not about the place at all. Worship is not about the place at all. Now, lest you be confused and think that I am saying that you can worship God at home as easy as you can at church. Oh no, that's not at all what I'm saying. Uh, The first day of the week has been established uh, as the day of worship uh, since Christ arose early on that first Easter morning uh, and they have gathered ever since then on the first day of the week uh, to worship Him, to praise Him, uh, to give adoration to Him uh, for being the God uh, that He is. Uh, But what I am saying uh, is do not argue about whether it's it's better at this church uh, or that church uh, or that building or this building uh, because worship is not about the place. I've been thinking and talking the last couple of days about, uh, about these folk that feel like they're the only ones doing it right. and These churches have a tendency... To say we're doing it better than the church down the road is doing it. We have a tendency to say we are much more spiritual than such and such Baptist church down the road. Or we'll say, man, if you hear about that church up in Kannapolis, this is happening, that's going on, this is happening. We're better off than they are. The issue, the issue at hand is not whether or not we're better off than another church The issue at hand is how are we when we stack ourselves up against the Word of God? How are we when we compare ourselves uh, to how God says we ought to worship? Uh, Have we come in here thinking uh, that we ought to worship the Landis Baptist Church uh, that began in 1926 and and worship the preachers that have been here in the past uh, and worship all the things uh, that have taken place down through the years? Uh, If that is our mentality, uh, we have missed the very reason and the very purpose purpose of worship all the great things that happened down through the years is because the worship was right not because it was the place now listen well that said I've had had one preacher in particular stayed over there into the a prophet's chamber and he come out of there the next morning and he said preacher dear God he said I couldn't sleep over there He said, I got to praying, got to thinking about all the men of God that have stayed in that prophet's chamber. He said, I'm telling you, it felt like glory was in there. He said, All I could do was pray and walk around. That's great. That's wonderful that there is a spirit uh, present on the property of Landis Baptist Church uh, uh, that people uh, can know that God dwells here. But in the midst of that, that preacher didn't stop and give glory to all the preachers uh, uh, that had stayed in that apartment. uh, uh, But rather he said, God's here. uh, And I got to pray to Him uh, and talk to Him and worship Him through the night. Worship's not about the place. At all. The ought of worship is necessary or binding. And, and she's bound by tradition of how it should be. And now wants to know where ought we. Karl Barth said this. Christian worship is the most momentous, most urgent, most glorious action that can take place in human life. It is the highest function in which our souls can be involved. Worship is the highest function in which our souls can be involved. Listen, you do not you do not, absolutely do not have to have permission from man to worship God when you put a worth or a value on what God is to you, a man will not matter and you will exalt his name you will lift him up you will magnify him at the same time that you are humbling yourselves in the presence of an almighty God uh, you will worship whether man likes that or not it is the most glorious action that can take place in human life is to worship now look by the answer that Jesus gives this woman what he is saying is this very simply the place of worship is irrelevant he will also tell the Samaritan her worship is not adequate. And the reason he tells her that her worship is not adequate is because of the object of her worship. She's worried about the ought of her worship and she has missed the object of the worship. Now let me just tell you a quick little story. I hadn't thought about this so right now, this pulpit right here, if you've not ever walked up here and look at it, you ought to. It is a historical, it is a historical masterpiece, in my opinion. And I'm gonna tell you why. I wish I could pick it up and show it to you, but I can't. These corners right here, these corners right here, these sides of this pulpit right here are worn. They are worn physically. You're able to see them visually, the wear marks on the pulpit. And every preacher that I have come to land us that's never been here before, I bring them up here and I let them see the wear marks on this pulpit where the great men of God of days gone by have stood and grabbed the horns and preached the blessed word of God. I want them to see it. I want them to understand it. I need them to know what a privilege it is to stand here and preach. when they redid this pulpit with the rest of the church, I said, you can clean the top and you can put polyurethane on it, but you better not sand away those marks on the pulpit. I said, I want them to stay. I want to see them. I want to value everything that comes with this pulpit. Now, with that said, we aren't careful, that's what we worship. We ain't careful. We'll say, I go to Landis Baptist Church where Maze Jackson used to come and preach. Or I used to go, I go to Landis Baptist Church where Wesley Grant used to stand and fly away. We ain't careful. We'll talk about the Percy Rays and we'll talk about all of the men that have stood here and we'll forget the object that the men stood here for. They did not stand here that one day we would remember their names and talk about how good they were. They've not stood there that we might glorify them and talk about the great messages they heralded from that pulpit. They stood there that you and your children and your families might see Jesus high and lifted up. It thrilled their souls more than anything And when you would get happy about what God is done for you and you'd lift your voice in praise and you'd wave your hands in adoration and you'd bend your knee in humility and in worship toward the God they were preaching about. There's so many things so many things and we don't think about we don't think about all the things that we could be worshiping at church and that the object of our worship may prove that our worship is inadequate What are we worshiping? What are we worshiping him for? Jesus said, you don't even know what you're worshiping. Look at what he said to her. He said, ye worship, ye know not what. He said, you have gathered yourself to a temple to go through a traditional exercise. You have gathered yourself in a place of worship to go through a ritualistic activity and you don't even know what you're worshiping. It would cause our chins to hit the floor if we knew how many people of our day that statement would apply to perfectly. You worship, but you know not what. You don't know what you're worshiping. So if you don't know what you're worshiping, many people certainly do not know who they're worshiping. The thrust of our text tonight is not necessarily what worship is. It's not necessarily where you go to worship. The thrust of what Jesus is saying is what are you worshiping? What exactly is it that brings you down to the church house three times a week? Listen, I'm the last person in the world that ought to be critical of anybody. But I'm just being honest with you when I tell you that there's a critical spirit that lives in me and you've got a critical spirit that lives in you. And I see, what, I see what things have become in our day. Evangelism of our day is not what evangelism started out to be. Amen. Evangelism has moved away from what evangelism of the scriptures were about. Evangelism in the scripture was to carry the gospel into places that had never heard the gospel. Evangelism in our day is everybody knowing your name, being able to go to the same churches every year, to be able to make sure that you got the biggest building and make sure that you can tell the same people the same story every year. And I would say this about modern day evangelism, some of the same people are getting saved over and over and over and over again and padding the number books. Amen. That's just just how I feel about some of it. We've changed what it is that we're worshiping. When an evangelist has groupies like the Rolling Stones would have, something is wrong with worship in America. It has moved from what it once was and what it should be. The object of this worship, Christ, is basically telling her that she is caught up in the wrong thing. It is not about where you worship at all. Romans 1.21 says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart." was darkened. When they knew God, they didn't glorify Him as God and it brought a darkness about them, a darkness over their heart and they didn't even know who they were glorifying for what they were glorifying Him for. They became vain and foolish and their hearts were darkened. sad truth is the typical concept of God in our culture is characterized by Or reflecting a state of cultural decline. We are characterized by our culture. And it has declined drastically down through the years. We are reflecting in our worship what is taking place in our culture. Let me give you an example. If we were to take out all of these LEDs and fluorescents and What's this halogen lighting? I don't know. If we were to take all of that out and replace it all with black lights and we went and purchased a smoke machine and uh, we made sure that the worship team uh, was all dressed alike and that they uh, did a little dance routine every, uh, every service. And uh, we made sure that the music uh, fit what everybody liked and everybody uh, was interested in. That would be the church uh, adapting or reflecting uh, uh, the culture of the day and the times in which we live. And while I do believe uh, uh, there are some things uh, uh, that we could do better Uh, friend I also believe uh, that it is not our responsibility uh, to look and act like our culture it is our responsibility uh, to help our culture uh, to look and act like Christ but we are characterized these days by our reflecting the culture that we live in and that cultural that culture Is on the decline. And if we're characterizing ourselves by that culture, then we are declining with them. Worship. He says this because America has a wrong concept of who God is. There's a preacher that says this often. Now, you may agree with it, you may not. But if you'll listen closely to what he says and you think about the reason why he says it, I believe you'd almost have to agree with him. He said, Sundays in America have become the biggest day of idolatry that there ever has been because we are worshiping a God that we know not what we worship. You've heard me use the phrase Americanized. We have Americanized the gospel. We have a God. Uh, image of a God in our mind who is a God of love, uh, we understand that there is certain a uh, judgment that will come with sin, but we do not picture it uh, the way that it really is. We picture an American. Uh, listen, you know how many people's gonna be upset uh, when they find out that God is not a white, blue-eyed, blonde-haired uh, a man about six foot tall and handsome. That's who we think of God. If it were not so, the pictures would not be hanging all over churches in America. We have a renaissance age, Jesus, where everybody painted the same picture over and over. He was beaten and bruised. He was wounded for our transgressions. The Bible said he was marred to the point he was unrecognizable as a man. The Bible said there was no comeliness about him that he should be desired of man. He was not what we think he is. I dare say... He didn't have hair halfway down his back. He wasn't blonde. He was a Jew. He was a dark-skinned, dark-haired man. But America has a very different picture of who Jesus is. It is the object of our worship. We dream of things. We picture how things should be in my mind. Listen, this will be a silly example, and you'll probably laugh at it. But when I look in the mirror, I feel like I'm a pretty slim and trim fella. But when I look down to tie my shoes and I can't see the laces, it tells me different. It is our perception of the object in which we are worshiping. I think of the days when I was 145 pounds and I could play basketball from sun up till sundown and was in shape and able to do that. Now, my shape is the ball. And and that's the reality. But the perception is I can still do what I used to and I perceive something that is not. And that is what we have done in our American churches is we have made a picture of a God that is not who He really is. Therefore, worship time has become a time of idol worship. That is the whole statement. We are worshiping a God. That he is not real as far as what we've made him to be. He's very real, and I want you to understand that, and not misunderstand what I'm saying. He, is, he has been made to be something he is not. When this happens, we worship a made up God, and it's like a little child who has an imaginary friend. We lead them about, and they're not really there. Did you know, and let me just say this while I'm here. Did you know that God is not a genie in a bottle that is at your beck and command to do whatever you tell him to or ask him to? That's not the God we worship. But it is a God we've painted a picture of. Ask in Jesus' name and he'll give you whatsoever you want. You know, that's that's the picture that we painted of this God. So we're worshiping a God based on false information based on our perception and our worship is inadequate because we know not what we worship sometimes. God the creator. God that hung the stars. I read an article today that told how many stars it was out there but I wouldn't even try to say that number it's so big. I wouldn't even try to say it. We worship a God that put them out there at the span of His hand. We worship a God, that those disciples said What manner of man is this, uh, that even the winds and the seas obey his voice. Uh, We worship a God uh, that, where they said, Never man uh, spake like this man. Uh, We worship a God that a Samaritan woman would say, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Uh, We worship a God that knows all and sees all and is able uh, to correct all. God. God cannot and will not tolerate sin. But yet we live in it like, oh well, He'll forgive me. He certainly will. But friend, I would be careful. I would be careful about my attitude toward my sin. Kent Hughes says this He says, to worship Him in truth is to worship Him as He really is. To worship God in truth, we must be people of the Word. The reason for this is the Bible gives us the clearest revelation of God that we have. If you want to know who the God is that we worship, you can find it in His Word. That's why it's so important that we are people of the Word. There are writers in the Bible that said he was terrifying, called him a terrifying God. The Bible said it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a, what, angry God teaches us that He is a God of emotion. He is a God that gets angry. He is a God that judges. He is a God that has the ability to eliminate life whenever He chooses. He's the giver. He's the taker of life. And whether things in our life are going right or whether they're going wrong, He is still worthy of our worship. He still has value. And I'm afraid that many times we have missed His value. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by Thy truth. This is how He said we should worship by truth. And then what, here's what He said Jesus while He's praying. He said, Sanctify them by Thy truth. And then He said, Thy word is truth. If we are to worship Him in truth, which is what Jesus said must happen, true worship does not come in a place. It does not come when the object is something else. But worship comes when the object of what we're worshiping is the God of truth, is the God of the book, the God of the Word, the God that is explained to us in our Bibles. Not a God that was dreamed up that's handing out candy at people's doorsteps. If you got a God that hands out candy at the doorsteps, then he's probably a child traffic person that's trying to steal you away and take you to hell. He's probably a kidnapper working for the devil if that's the God that you serve. Now listen, I thank God. I thank God for the honey patches and the sweet times. I thank God for all of those opportunities He gives us to waller around in His goodness and His sweetness. But friend, that ain't all of it. That is not all of it. I put a little heart beside this statement in my notes because I really like it. Worship is not a mindless activity. It includes mental Interaction with the truth about God's Word. It is not a mindless activity, but it includes mental interaction with the truth about God's Word. When real worship breaks out, It will not be the events of last week uh, that spurs you at a true worship, but rather it'll be a verse in the Scriptures uh, that is stirring in your heart, uh, or it will be a word uh, from God that He placed there when you got up in the morning. When worship happens, uh, it will be when your mind interacts with the truths of God's Word. Whenever you're walking through a dark valley, and all of a sudden you remember he said he'd never leave me nor forsake me. Or when you've lost a loved one and you know that David said I lost my little child and I can't bring him back but I can go to him. A Worship will spring out of a word from God from a truth of his word. That's worship. Not an object that was made up, not a golden calf that was built while Moses was on the mountain. Listen, those people, they even got so spiritual, they put altars in front of the calf to try to make them feel better about how they were worshiping. That's what's taking place in America today. We've got golden calves with altars in front of them and not real worship. Worship according to the truth of His Word. Listen, outward performance may or may not be present in worship. Now I've been a preacher down through the years that has been guilty of saying you'll worship Him somehow with your mouth and the Bible teaches that in Hebrews 13. He said that we ought to offer the sacrifice of praise continually that is the fruit of our lips, but it's not always about, it's not always about The physical in worship. It is a mental interaction with the truth of His Word. And it's not always about running, it's not always about falling out on the floor. There's some things involved in what's called worship of our day that I've never understood where it came from because there's no biblical event everywhere that demonstrates somebody doing the things that people are doing in our day in worship services. Isn't that right? I know it's hard to hear. It's hard to say. Some of the things that are being demonstrated in our services today are not biblical in respect of how it was done then. And if we're going to be a church that is biblical and scriptural and worships in truth, then what we do ought to exemplify what's said inside the word. Should. Charles Spurgeon said this. I'm almost done. God does not regard our voices, He hears our hearts. And if our hearts do not sing, we have not sung at all. We can sing, pray, tithe, and still not worship God. Sometimes we do none of these and worship. Sometimes there can be no prayer. Sometimes there can be no singing. Sometimes there can be no tithing. Sometimes there can be no preaching and we worship. But there are some times when we can do all of those things and still miss worship because we worship the wrong things. Listen, this type of worship where we can do none of those things and have our hearts wrapped around truth and worship Him, listen to what the Scripture said. He said this, Verse 23, he said, True worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. The God of the Bible is seeking people to worship him biblically, to worship him in spirit and in truth. I have not touched spirit. But if you will look in your Bible, the word Spirit there is not capitalized. It is not the Holy Spirit. It is worshiping Him in your spirit. Worshiping Him with your spirit. I don't have time to give you all of that tonight, but it is not worshiping Him in the Holy Spirit and in the truth of His Word. It is worshiping Him inside you with your spirit, with all that you are. And the Bible said, the father seeketh such to worship him. He's looking for people who value him, who see worth in him, who want the truth of his word from him. He has given a discourse to this woman about worship because she has asked about it. And this woman is going to come down through here and she said, I know that the Messiah is coming, which is Christ. And when He has come, He will tell us all things. Woman, I that speak unto thee am He. I should be the object of your worship. I should be the one that you settle into and that you live for and that you're willing to die for and that you're willing to talk to and talk about to others. I'm the Messiah. He's the object of our worship. Tonight, we don't mean to misplace the object. We don't mean to do that. We don't mean to come to church and... And uh, not have our mindset right. and, And miss worship of God. That's not our intent ever. I believe that. I don't believe there's a person in Landis Baptist Church. That comes to church purposely. To worship something other than God. We don't purposely do that. But what we have done. Is we have created a God. That's not real. A God that answers everything just like we wanted a God that we can tell I had somebody tell me that it meant when it said we could boldly come into the throne of grace that you ought to walk into the throne room, point your finger at God and say this is how it's going to be. There are people that believe that. That is a false image. That is a false God. That is idolatry if you worship a God like that. That's what's happened. Pulpits all across America are teaching falseness about the God of this Bible. They're taking scriptures out of context and producing a prosperity gospel that says, if you'll give this, God will give that. That says, if you'll give your money to this ministry, God will bless you and do that. That is not the God of the Bible. The Bible teaches we'll suffer. The Bible teaches we'll have hardships. The Bible does not teach we'll be rich for serving Jesus. But that is what's swept our country. It is an Americanized false God that is being worshiped. Sometimes one time a week, sometimes three times a week, all across the country. Philippians 3.3 said, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. There is a word about worshiping in spirit. It is not a fleshly... I don't know if you ever... When we was in Bible college, we used to do some crazy things and... We'd sit around at night on YouTube and we'd search worship services of people that were just acting foolish. And these people that are dancing and slamming their heads like, like rock and roll headbangers and throwing themselves on the floor like they're having convulsions. And we'd laugh at that. I mean, we would. I, I wouldn't lie to you about it. We'd laugh for hours watching videos over and over and over. But tonight I'm not laughing about it. It is a mockery. It is a mockery of worship that is to be done in spirit and in truth. It is not a fleshly activity that will bring glory and honor to your flesh. It is an activity that will lift up the God of heaven. The old man is our flesh. So to worship in spirit is to worship him in the new creature. To worship Him in Christ Jesus. Understanding without Christ, we'd have no reason to worship. Have no reason. That's what the Lord has put in my heart for this service. And it's not my desire to try to throw water on a fire that burns within anybody. That's not my desire. My desire is to shine light on the God of the Scripture, that we can worship Him the way He deserves to be worshipped. The way that He deserves to be worshipped. Now listen, I'm going to say this quickly, and I'll let you go. I've preached a long time tonight. Every place I've ever read in the Scriptures where any man truly was found in the presence of God The Bible said they fell on their face and worshiped Him. Anything besides that was praise. They were standing on their feet shouting Hosanna while waving palm branches. They were praising Him. They were magnifying Him. They were glorifying Him. But worship came on their face in the presence of Almighty God. Here's what I want to say about it. When somebody, and, and I'm, please understand, I am not being critical of somebody praising the Lord by standing up. Alright, please, please understand that. But what I want to tell you is, is that when we praise Him, when we praise Him, and we jump up and we're waving our hands and we're praising Him, that is in our flesh. And if you should be the only one praising Him, which is perfectly fine, please do not misunderstand me. It's perfectly fine. But when you are the only one praising Him, that turns everyone else's attention to you. That's okay, because you're praising the Lord. But when you're on your feet to praise the Lord and you say, That old devil's been after me all week. The devil made me have a flat tire, and the devil made me spill cooking oil, and the devil made me run out of flour. Now you have taken your flesh. You've brought everybody else's attention in the building to you and your flesh, and you're not even bragging on Jesus while you're doing it. That's the dangers of flesh. It's the danger of flesh. Now, as long as somebody's exhorting and exalting Christ, you ought to praise Him as every opportunity you get. But worship puts you on the floor with your head down, your forehead on the floor, and it takes you out of the picture and it magnifies Him. It lifts Him. That's spirit and truth. Worship. Worship. Now listen, I'm no expert on anything. No expert on anything. But Christ has told this Samaritan woman clearly, worship's not about the place. That's irrelevant. The object of your worship is inadequate. You should be worshiping in spirit and in truth. Remove your flesh out of the way and worship in accordance with, To the Word of God. Worship the God of the Bible. Not the God of some man-made religion that's come along 200 years ago, fooled everybody into thinking that this is what it's about. Amen. Listen, I'm as old-time as you can get. I mean, that's the truth. I like it. I'm for it if it's done right. Friend, when we think about old-time, we can't go back any further than 50, 60, 70 years ago. We go back 200 years ago, you'd find out we ain't nowhere near old time. You Go back 2,000 years ago and we've missed it completely. It's important that we get back to the Scriptures and worshiping the God of this Bible. Churches, we have it and as we know it today sprang out of what was called the Sandy Creek Revival. There's a picture right outside my office door hanging there of Schubel Stearns preaching the gospel in a, in a field. People around him standing there looking at it. And uh, oh, I think over, I'm not real sure, but I think over 2,000 churches sprang out of that Sandy Creek Revival in the Bible Bell, I believe. That's when worship as we know it Spring. That was not too long ago, that Sandy Creek revival. I don't have the dates in my head. I keep looking at Brother Rick because he's a historian. Like he might have those dates in his head, but he probably don't. But uh, that's not been that long ago. It's been less than 100 years ago probably, I would guess. That's when this style of worship that we're involved in came to our area. Outside of the Bible Belt, they do things very differently than what we do. They don't worship the same way we do. Most places you hear a pin drop during service. It's Very different. That doesn't mean that they're lost people. That means somewhere along the way a view of worship has been skewed one way or the other of what it is and what is to take place and how how we should do it. And don't misunderstand me. Y'all got quiet like I messed up somewhere. I don't don't know. I like everything we do. I'm all right with it. I don't want to change any of it. I like somebody to shout. I like people to say amen while I'm preaching. When you don't, it gets me concerned and makes me preach longer thinking that I'm confusing you. It helps. It helps. But that ain't how it's always been. It's not how it's always been. And the longer time continues, the more skewed the view of worship will become. It has taken taken a very charismatic turn in America. And the the longer time goes, the more skewed that will become if we do not... If we do not reunite with the God of the Bible and worship Him in spirit and in truth, I believe that's what Jesus told the woman. It's the object of your worship that you need to focus on, not the alt, not where, but the object. That's what's skewed. That's what's messed up. That's where we have problems. Is what it is that we're worshiping. Let's stand to our feet tonight. I'm done hallelujah come do I yeah if you don't mind I hope tonight I have not clouded worship it is not my desire to cloud worship it is my desire (laughs) she got away it is my desire to clarify and to make more clear what worship is. More clear. Shh. You be quiet real quick, okay?